We're going to continue on today with our series, um, Financial Freedom Revisited. Revisited in the sense that a lot of the things I want to talk about in these weeks we're going to talk about financial freedom, um, I've somehow shared in some other messages in the past, and I just wanted to kind of combine them together and, and uh, talk about them because people are asking me about these topics, and, and, um, and it's something that I think we should revisit probably every year, the idea of, of um, freedom. Um, you know, that last week we looked at it and we found that uh, financial freedom, the first step in it is what? That four-letter word, work. That uh, work is not really a four-letter word, meaning a curse word. Um, that we as believers should have a great attitude towards work. That God created us to work. He created us. He didn't create just kind of weird ideas about what heaven's going to be like. People you know, get this crazy idea they're going to be sitting in a cloud with a harp. Uh, that's just not, that's not it. We're created to accomplish. We're created to, to create and invent and work. Um, we find fullness and fulfillment and provision through work. And we looked at a verse last week that, that simply says this from Colossians. Our foundation for our attitude towards work, that we as Christians should work heartily is unto the Lord, um, not unto man. That we should work heartily is unto the world, Lord, so we should be great workers. What we're going to do today is we're going to take a step forward now, and we're going to build on that idea of being unworking. And we're going to talk about as we work, and then we get some resources, we get some finances for it. I don't think most of you go to work um, just because you like to volunteer where you are. Some of you do, and that's great. You volunteer here at church. But most of you go to work because you want to get a paycheck. When you get a paycheck, um, the next step then is, what do I do with what I got? So I want to talk about preparing a financial plan. Now, don't get all freaked out. I'm not going to sit here with pie charts and everything. Um, but I want to talk about kind of in a loose sense of preparing a strategy for using the money that you have that God's entrusted to you. And what I want to do, really, kind of my overall goal, is I want to help you to intentionally use your income for both a godly, in both a godly and a productive way. Because here's what I know. If you, if you have a right plan and you approach finances properly, you will live in financial freedom. And that's what we're looking for. We're not talking about financial wealth, although wealth is fine. We're talking about freedom, where you're not locked in bondage to debt, you're not obsessed with stuff, that, you're, that, that, that wealth and money and things don't grip you, that you're free of that stuff. Now, you may be saying in your mind, and I think I might have said this last week, and I'll probably say it every week, saying something along like this, well, I don't need this, or this isn't a spiritual topic. Well, nothing could be further from the truth, because God has given us principles to live by in his word on finances, and Here's the reality check for us. Statistics, or studies, where the statistics come from, show that we, people who call ourselves evangelical or born-again Christians, people who say we believe that the Holy Spirit actually speaks to us, and we believe that we need to have our sins forgiven, and we like to go to church, you know, when the pastor says, I preach the sermon, you say, yeah, you know, that we believe that stuff, <laughs> that what we know is, according to statistics, we don't often follow the principles given to us in God's Word. A few years ago, a guy named George Barna, and you're all probably have heard of Barna and Barna of all, all of his studies, Christian man who does research, did a study to find out if people who call themselves born again or saved or evangelical, if those people who call themselves born again Christians spent their money in any different way than um, People who say, no, I don't identify with Christianity. I'm not born again. I'm not really a Christian. 
Was there any difference in their spending habits as a whole? And his research found that there was zero apparent difference between the groups as a whole. Now, now, before you throw things at me, that doesn't mean that you as an individual or even us as a church aren't different. But when he looked at the nation as a whole and he studied, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of people and looked at their spending habits, he found that as a whole, people who called themselves Christians and people who called themselves said, I'm not a Christian, there was absolutely no discernible difference in how they spent their money. And here is what I know, that as Christians who live in the culture we live in, day-to-day world, we often live by the same financial principles as people around us who make no claim to follow the leadership of Jesus. Matter of fact, a lot of times we get the principles we live by from people who make no claims to be followers of Christ. We set our financial futures based on what other people tell us on what is right with our finances, even though the people who tell us make no claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. You see, it's, it's obvious that as Americans, we generally do not follow biblical principles on finance. America is the richest country in the world. I told you that last night. Now, we're declining, but we are still the richest country in the world. But I want to show you a little truth of the reality of where we're at. Now, these numbers are a couple years old, but it's hard to find real recent statistics. I did a lot of searching, and these are among the best I could find, on the US, average U.S. household when it comes to, to debt, credit cards, those kinds of things. So let me just read this little, this little blurb um, that I came across. It says, Americans carry... trillion in consumer debt, up 22% since 2000, the year 2000. According to the Federal Federal Reserve Board, the average household credit card debt is $8,565, up almost 15% from 2000. The average U.S. student um, emerges from college carrying approximately $20,000 in educational debt, and that's rising. Household debt, which includes mortgages and credit cards, represents 19% of household assets compared with 13% in 1980. Share of disposable income that consumers must set aside to service their debt. Now, this is how much you must set aside just to pay the interest. I'm talking about paying principal, to service the debt, pay interest. Um, Has risen to 14.5% from 11% just 15 years ago. That means for 14.5 out of every dollar the average American gets is just paying off interest um, on the debt that they have. U.S. savings rate, which exceeded 8% of disposable income in 1968, so a few years after I was born, people saved 8% of their income, that today stands at about 0.4% of disposable income. So people back 50 years ago saved about 8% of their income. People today don't even save a half of 1% of their income in America. I heard another statistic recently that said the average American, and it was over a certain age, I can't remember what age, but it was older, the average that the the people had saved for retirement was $24,000. Now, I do understand we've come through a really hard economic time. And I'm going to talk about principles here, and I'm going to be honest with you. The principles I want to talk about um, are principles of people that we should be able to live in a land of abundance. We really should be able to live by these in the land of abundance. There's certain times in life, you know, when we went to Cambodia, you wouldn't talk to anybody about a financial plan. 
really honestly, because every day they simply tried to get enough rice to eat so they didn't starve to death. So there's, there's different seasons of time. But we're not living in that time. We're not living in that. We're living, we are living in the richest country in the world. But yet, the numbers tell us, in comparing ourselves to other people, we are the most indebted. Meaning we buy more, we have the most money, but we buy more than we can afford and we borrow money and pay interest to get it. We're the most indebted in the world. And you don't want to know why this is important to me. You say, man, you're really badgering us this morning, Pastor. Not. I want to help. Um, you know why it's so important to me? Because I have never once seen a marriage breakup because two people disagreed about some theological point. All the time I've spent dealing with couples in my life, I have not one time had a couple sit in my office that I can ever think of, and they're saying, it's over, I can't stand this person anymore, because you know what? He believes in a pre-trib rapture, and I'm a mid-tribber. I just, we just can't do it. Or you know what? He's a Calvinist, and I'm an Arminian. And we just, we're so far on the opposite side. I've never even had a couple say, you know what? He's one of those guys who actually believes the Holy Spirit, you know, speaks today. And, and I don't believe it. I've never one time had a couple sitting in my office saying their marriage is going to break up because of a theological point. But I have seen marriages destroyed because debt pressures became so great that the people just gave up and walked out. They gave up on life. One of the things they gave up on was their marriage. They said, I quit. Also, I've never seen missions work not accomplished because someone wasn't willing to go. I was going to say just ministry, but I think this clarifies it so much more. I've never seen missions work, which is taking the gospel, somebody taking the gospel to the where the gospel is not. I've never seen missions work not accomplished because someone wasn't willing to go. There's always somebody willing to go. God's speaking the hearts. But I have seen those people willing to go kept from going because debt payments, interest payments, robbed Christians of their ability to give the way God was prompting them to give. Money that could have been used for eternal ministry was going to pay off interest on loans and credit cards so that somebody could say, yeah, I had to have that fill-in-the-blank thing, and I charged it, and it's been broken for five years, but I'm still paying for it. And that interest you're paying was money that God's saying, I'm prompting you to do some to, to partner with this person over here to go there. But you're saying, I really can't do it. And you're probably right, you can't, because all your money is going to pay in interest payments. So that's why um, finance is spiritual. The topic is spiritual. This topic is, is real life. It affects how you live every single day. And God's concerned about your every single day life. Now, we said we're going to make a plan. Whether or not you know it, all of us live by some type of a financial plan. You know? Some of you, this is your plan. I earn it, and I spend it. I get this much a week. I spend this much a week. That's your plan. Paycheck to paycheck. You don't have any savings. You don't have any retirement saved. You just live paycheck to paycheck. That's where you live. Others, you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, you're the, the Dave Ramsey superstar. You have every nickel accounted for, and you have meticulous budgets and funds and sub-funds. I remember a, a lady, she was a CPA in a church I pastored in the past, and, I mean, she was meticulous, and she had this gigantic file folder thing that her and her husband used, and there was like 8 million envelopes in it. 
And every envelope got money put into it. And then you really think, okay, we don't have money to do this, but we, we can take money from this envelope because it was all based on, on keeping track of every penny. That's fine. That was, her, that was their plan. So a lot of us are somewhere in between. That's your plan. You kind of have some funds. And Suzanne and I spent yesterday, and it wasn't because of this, been on our, on our calendar for a long time. We, we worked on our budget yesterday, our personal budget. That was fun. That was fun. And some of you, you know what your plan is? You earn it and you hoard everything you can possibly get. Stash it away. Stash it away. Stash it away. Stash it away. The easiest way to see what type of a plan you have is to simply look at your spending habits. Examine your checkbook. Examine your savings account. Examine your ATM receipts. Examine your credit card statements. And if we were able to do this, if I could put, put, you could, Put me on the board and I'll spending my credit cards, checkbooks, whatever. You would learn a lot about me. And there's a reason for it. The Bible says there's a principle that ties um, our finance to our heart. It says this. Remember I told you last week, Colossians verse you should highlight and memorize. This is one you should memorize also. It's kind of the foundation verse for this, for this sermon today. Matthew chapter 6 verse 21 says this. This verse, when I got a hold of it in my life, changed my life. I used to believe it the opposite because I was worldly-minded instead of being re-educated, godly-minded. And it takes a while. So Matthew 6.21 says this, Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It doesn't say it the other way around. That's the way we assume it says it. Oh, I have a heart for this, so I'll give to it. God looks and goes, no, you guys trick yourselves. You deceive yourselves. He says, where you put your money, regardless of what you say with your mouth, Where you put your money determines where your heart is. That your heart always follows your investment. So seeing where you put your treasure will reveal where your heart is, what you value the most in life. That's the way to figure out what you value. God says money is a revealer. It shows where I spend my money, shows what's most important to me, where my my heart is. For example, I think we could figure out how a person feels about God by looking at their money. If there was a record of giving generously and consistently to the work of God, that would show up. We look at your credit cards, we look at your checkbook, we look at your spending, and we'd say, wow, look at all these checks written at Northview Church and the missions or whatever else. We'd see that. You know, if you generously support God's activity, um, if you gave the full tithe of what you earned to God's work, there would be no hiding it. So if somebody tried to prosecute you for being a Christian, they'd look in your books and go, look at all these consistent giving to their church and the work of God. You couldn't hide it. But if you didn't give, um, that would be revealed also. Because where your heart is, um, where, your, where, your, where your, your money will follow, or your heart will follow wherever your money is. We could also see how you feel about other people. At Portview Church, what are we? We're people who care. So we'd see, is that true about us? Portview Church, people who care. We'd say, are there, is there evidence from your spending that you help people who, are, who have less than you? Would we, we'd say, well, did we see spending in here or evidence of you using your resources that God has given you to help a friend or a relative in need? Well, it would be evident. Those things would show up. We could also see if we put up on the board all of somebody's financial records, we could see um, what you enjoy to do for fun, what you like for recreation. 
You know, if there was a payment of $1,500 for a new set of golf clubs and $300 for golf lessons and $1,000 for a golf club membership, we could look at that and we'd say, oh, guess what? That guy likes golfing. He likes it. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves, and I need to ask myself, that we were asking ourselves yesterday, we were making a budget, is what does your spending reveal about you? And once you see that, ask yourself this question, do you like what you see? Does it line up with what you think God wants? What does your spending reveal about you? And remember, I'll never stand before the Lord and give an account for somebody else's life, but are you happy with what your spending reveals about you? Would you say, yeah, I'm happy before the Lord. Do you like what you see? And, and, and most importantly in relationship to, to this series, are you seeing that you're living in financial freedom? Or are you, you know, are you free from the values of the world? Is all your money going for stuff that's trying to somehow make you happy? And you go, it's really a revelation that I'm really not happy. And I'm trying to fill it with something else. Or are you seeing from looking at your, evaluating your own income or your own expenses and how you spend, um, are you seeing that, um, that you really have values that um, are different than, than they should be, that you have oppressive debt in your life and all your money is going to pay interest? You see, friends, Managing our money well, managing it well, is part of our commitment to being followers of Jesus. I really believe that. People want to say it's not spiritual. I say it absolutely is spiritual. That managing what God has given us well is part of our commitment to being Christ followers. We need to understand something very important and very foundational here for just to make sense, and it's this. All that stuff you have, all the money, all your checks, everything, it's not really yours. It's not really mine. It's God's. You see, the Bible teaches us that as Christians, we are what's called a steward of God's resources. You heard the word steward before? I've probably mentioned it a few times over the years. We are stewards of God's resources. That's how the Bible describes you and me. And this is what it is. A steward is one who manages the resources of another. And in the context of Christianity, stewardship is you and me managing what resources God has entrusted to us for him. God gives us resources, and we manage them for him. He gives some people a lot of resources, they're to manage them for him. He gives some people little resources, and they're to manage them for him. God gives us resources, and we manage them for him. You know, and you think about this, though. So what are the resources that God has entrusted to you? Some people would say, well, I don't have any. We all do. What are the resources? Well, the abilities that you have. Some of you have great livings because you are sharper than attack. You work at high-level jobs. You're well-paid. Um, you know why you can do that? God gave you the abilities to do it. God gave it to you. Um, you say, I don't have, I'm not sharp, but you know what? All of us have time. Time that We all wake up every day, no matter what your, what your station in life is, we wake up at 24 hours. Suzanne and I talk to each other about that all the time. Today we must choose how we will spend our 24 hours. We can't waste it. So we all have time. That time came from God. He gave you breath today. You got out of bed today because of God's grace. He gave it to you, time. And all the income you have, he gave to you. Um, because he gave you the ability, he gave you the opportunity, he gave you the will to work. All that income comes from God. The list of what God has given to you, what resources God can give you, has given to you, can be summed up in one word. You know what the one word is? Everything. That's the one word. Everything God has given to you. The book of James, chapter 1, verse 17, says this. 
every good, not most, every good thing is bestowed, in other words, is given, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. That everything we have comes from God. Everything is from God. And so God calls us, once we understand everything is from Him, He says, all I have, Mark, your time, your talent, your treasures, all that's mine, and now I want you to, I want you to be a steward. I want you to manage it for me. And so this idea of stewardship really involves, involves three things for you to do. Number one is we realize that everything is really God's. So that's the, that's the, that's the, the knowledge side. It's all God's. As a steward, I recognize that what I'm saying right now is true. And a lot of you don't believe me when I'm saying this right now. You say you do, but you don't. Because you say, but the checkbook has my name on it. The credit card has my name on it. That's true. But James isn't lying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he says everything you have comes from God. And so everything ultimately is God. So the first, first idea, the foundational idea of stewardship is that we realize that everything really is God's and we, and we acknowledge that. God, this, everything I have is yours. The second thing then is that we understand our responsibility is to manage those resources for God's benefit. That I am, I am in essence almost employed that God says, okay, here's the resources, now use them for my glory. But then here's where the number three comes in, the really, 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 really good news. That if we do that, then as we understand it's all his and we manage it for his glory, then a steward is supported by God as we manage God's resources for, for him. Now we're talking about financial freedom here, right? You know what financial freedom arises from? And some of you need to understand this because some of you have never gone through a hard time financially. You know, you've lived in such a way that you've navigated the downturns and you think it's because you're so wise. And I'm not saying you're not smart, but I'm saying you're lucky too. Because you could be just as smart and just as hardworking and be put in a different context, put you back in 1929, and I don't care who you are, almost everybody lost everything. Okay? Or, or move you from this country to another country, no matter how hardworking you are, how smart you are, government, an oppressive government comes in and seizes everything you have. And you have nothing. And so some of you have been able to, to avoid all the hard times so far. And I praise God for that. I'm not looking for hard times for everybody. But when we are a steward, we get something, this number three, that is amazing, no matter if it's good times or bad times. We understand, number one, that it's all God's. Number two, we manage it for him. And number three is then, God takes care of me as I manage his resources for him. Friends, how freeing. We're talking about financial freedom. It's freeing especially in the hard times, to live by proper stewardship principles. I understand it's all God's. I manage it for his glory. I ask him, what do you want done with it? Because then I know he takes care of me in the good times and the bad times. Because he says, you know what? You're my steward. Um, you're managing my resources. And now I'm in charge. God's saying, I'm responsible. Not me, him. I'm responsible for you. And who doesn't want God to be responsible for them? I want God to care for me. That's what proper stewardship does. So, how do we then learn to manage this properly for God? You say, well, okay, it's all God's going to manage it for Him, so He'll take care of me. How do I do that? Well, number one is you stay connected to God and you simply have a relationship with Him that says, I want to have an abiding relationship with Jesus. Where I'm really saying, God, what do you want? I'm not, not, that's the number one. My default setting is, God, what do you want before every decision? That's, that's the thing. But then you know what we do? We look in God's Word and we create a plan from God's Word, a biblical plan. 
And I'm going to suggest to you a simple stewardship plan. And it's been taught for years. Um, it works. It's not original with me. Um, it's how I've tried to live my life, and I'll explain that in a little while. Um, and it's a plan, you've maybe heard of it before, I think I've maybe mentioned it, called the 10-10-80 plan. Okay? The 10-10-80 plan. It starts off with this, divides our, divides our income into 10%, 10%, 80%. And it goes like this. The first 10% goes to God. Malachi in chapter 3 says this very clearly, bring the full tithe, full 10% of what you earn into God's storehouse. This simply means bring 10% of what you earn to the place where you worship, do it consistently, never miss, because tithing is a biblical principle. It's what God says. He says, do this. First, and it's, he says, you do it first. You don't do it last. You do it first. The Bible usually refers to this as first fruits, the first thing you give away. Friends, when you obey God's teaching by honoring God with the first 10%, what you, happen, what you find from the book of Malachi and through just real life is then God then, because you're a steward, he honors you back. He will care for you financially, and that's where the freedom comes in. See, this is what happens when we tithe. Tithing opens up the possibility for God to divinely supply our needs. When we don't tithe, we're saying, God, I want to do it on my own. Now, guess what? In easy times, you may be doing just fine doing that way. But in tough times, you need God. God's saying, if you will do what I'm telling you to do, he says, tithe, and then I'll take care of you. He's saying, put me first, and it's evidence how I'm putting you first. He says, if you do that, then I will, you're opening up my possibility, you're obeying me, so now you're opening up the possibility for me to pour blessings and abundance into your life. That make sense? Um, by tithing, first, we're saying, God, you're in charge of my life, and I'm going to trust you to take care of me. Now, it's interesting of something about tithing. Because a lot of people disagree about tithing. It's funny. They disagree. I never heard anybody disagree the way and go, you know, I really think we're supposed to get 20%. Never. I've never heard one person ever say that to me in my life. But this is what I know about the Bible. This is the only topic in the Bible that God ever says in his word, test me on this. In all the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, over and over, God says, don't test me, don't test me, don't test me. But on this topic, Malachi, God says, test me in this and see if I won't, if I won't honor you and open up the windows of heaven and bless you for doing this. It's the only place in all the Bible that God's saying, listen, I want to get your heart. He goes, I don't care about your money, but I know if you can't give your first to me, you can't give this significant portion to me, I know I don't really have your heart. He goes, I want your heart. I want you to reveal to me that I have your heart. Now, somebody could do it with wrong motives, but people generally don't. I want to tell you something, church. I have put God to the test, Suzanne and I, ever since we've been saved. And God has proven to be faithful over and over and over again. Suzanne and I have had a crazy financial life. My history is being a financial planner. I was a printer before that. Used to make quite a bit of money. And then we said, we're going to abandon it all, our words, abandon it all for the sake of the call, the call of God. And we cashed in everything we had for retirement. Everything, I remember my dad always laughs at me. I remember when you were this age, you had to plan that by this age you'd be a millionaire. I had it all, we cashed it all in. I sold everything I owned, went to Bible college. We said, God, as long as you provide, um, we'll keep doing this. Now, we always tithed. Not one time, no matter, there was times, years and years and years, and I'm not lying, you say, oh, you're just exaggerating. I'm not. For years that we had $10 a week for groceries. For years, we never ate out one time. 
Not one time unless somebody else took us out. We could not. We paid $50 a month to rent a mobile home in college. 50 bucks a month. We couldn't afford it. 51. See, God, honest truth, because I refused to borrow money to go to college. I said, I won't do it. God, I won't borrow. You don't provide, I'm not going to go. Here's what I've seen. Not one time, to my knowledge, unless it was a mistake, and I don't think there ever was, not one time did we ever not tithe. And through it all, God has always taken care of us. So I don't worry. When God says do something dumb, which says people say is dumb. Like, oh, by the way, now you're making really good money and the church is thriving. I want you to go quit again, start over from scratch, and get no income. I've done that three times in my life. Two with no income. We're saying, okay, God, we'll give it all up, start over from scratch. Where everybody else is going, I'm working towards retiring at 54. <laughs> and I'm going, I think I'll start over and, and, and give it all away and start from scratch again. I'm not saying that to get anybody pat me on the back. I want you to honor, I want you to honor God. I want you to understand I have been abundantly blessed, ridiculously blessed. I can't believe how blessed I am. And I believe it's because, number one, the number one blessing is I don't have to worry about my finances because I put God first. Never even, we've never one time in a conversation to say, should we not write the first check, the first check of 10% of our income? We've never even had the conversation. It's like, whatever. I'll not eat before I won't write that out because I want to trust God. And so God provides. I've learned that I'll change my spending habits when I need to, and I've had to do that at times. But I'll never rob God by not tithing. And I'll just say this. Some of you need to take a step of faith here. Because this is what it is. This is, this is not a money issue. This is a faith issue. It's faith. It's trusting God. Some of you need to take a step of faith here and simply obey God on this point. Test him. I promise you he won't fail you. He won't. Some of you need to wrestle with that a little bit. You need to trust God. So that's the first 10%. Second 10%. 10, 10, 80. Second 10%. Second 10% goes into savings. Proverbs 21.20 says this, The wise person saves for the future, but the foolish person spends all that he gets. That was the first, the first uh, um, financial plan that I talked about. Um, it's get it, spend it. The wise person, though, it says, saves for the future, but the foolish person spends all that he gets. The second person you need to pay is yourself. You work hard and you should get paid. So take... 10% off the top and put it away in a long-term savings or investment fund. Um, let, learn to let your money work for you. Put it away so it can collect interest and it can make you more money. Now, this isn't saving for some new big toy. You know, i got to have that new Tundra truck. And so I'm saving this, not that what 10% is for, or for a big vacation. It's saving for retirement or emergencies, um, and it pays off. Now, I'll be honest about this point. I believe this is absolutely rock-solid advice to do it. Remember, this 10 10 plan is not for me. It's rock-solid advice. I believe it's biblically based, um, that it's wise to save for the future. I think it's good, and I think it's right. But Suzanne and I have not always done this. Matter of fact, for most of our life, we haven't done this. We are now, but we didn't before. We always tithed, ever, always. But we have not always saved 10% for our future. For us, again, I'm just talking, I'm just trying to be really honest and exp express how this can affect your life. For us, many times we felt compelled to give extra money away above our tithes, and that had to come from our savings because we didn't have any other discretionary income. And I believe that um, what we have done, we've been doing our best to follow the leading of the Lord, 
And we've always trusted that he'll provide for us and he'll continue to provide for us. He provides for us now. He'll provide for us in the future. We really believe that. So I'm not presenting this as a law to you, but rather as a guideline. It's a good guideline. It's a guideline that should be followed unless you feel compelled by the Lord to do something otherwise, other than putting that 10% for retirement. To save 10% is a great idea, and I recommend you start it with the very first paycheck you ever get, kids. First paycheck you ever get, put 10% away. But always be open to the voice of the Lord for generosity. Remember a period of time in our life when we were living, we started, we built one church up significantly, left it all for zero pay, moved into somebody's basement in order to start a new church. We had two children at the time, and as a matter of fact, within a little time, we also had custody of two more children for a number of years. We had we had nothing. We'd given any money we had, always tithe, but any money we could have used um, just to the work of the Lord. Didn't have a penny to save. And I'm driving down the road one day, and we're wrestling with, with um, should we take these two other children into our home? We lived in a little tiny house. Should we take them into our home? We didn't have any money. And I felt the Lord say, you take care of the kids, and I'll take care of the house. Within no time, I get a phone call from a person I hadn't seen in 20 years, asked me to come to their house, long and short of it. Guy says, God woke me up in the middle of the night, told me to put a down payment on Suzanne's dream house. Put an $80,000 down payment on a house. And then put me in this company's health insurance, bought me a brand new car, put 150000 over a year or so. More money than I ever could have saved. God spoke to one guy, who I hadn't seen in 20 years, who said, I've been blessed. God woke me up at 2 in the morning and told me to do this. Freaked me out. Middle of the night, I woke up. I said, you can't do it. It's illegal. You can't give us money. Called an attorney or an accountant. What can I do? Well, okay, we can work it this way, this way, this way, this way. So it's all legal. Point being, be open to the generosity of God. See, God's taking care of us. I believe this 10 10 plan is a great plan. You should do it. Unless God says you do something else, because here's the deal. God will let you take care of yourself. But I love the stories I have. For people over years say, you know what? You've got all these cool stories about this stuff. God's never done that for me. You know why? God's spoken to you. And you've never listened. Or you've said no. You only get the stories when you say yes. I can write books on how, on how God's finances work because it's, we've tried to always be obedient and taking crazy risks. And, and again, this is I'm, I'm not saying this to... That please, this is not about Mark and Suzanne. This is about God. I couldn't have worked it out. I couldn't have saved that much money. And God says, you know what? You listen to me? Here you go. Live in this big honking house. Matter of fact, we sold it for two years because we felt so uncomfortable living in it. First time I'd ever been questioned about my finances from the church. People would come over from the church and go, how's the money handled? I've told the same story over and over. Finally I said, we're moving. Move back to our little house. So 10% to savings is a great idea. And I recommend that you start it from your very first paycheck, but always be open to God's voice of generosity. Right? 10% tithe, 10% savings. We're almost done. 80%. The 80% goes to everybody else. With the 80%, you pay for your housing, you pay for your food, you pay for your clothes, you pay for your cars, you pay for your vacations, you pay for your recreation, you pay for your debt reduction. 
And even to additional giving, if God leads you to give more, and you learn to live on 80%. Now, the world will tell you you've got to live on 110%. When we moved here six years ago, we looked at our income, and we had to get up buy a house, and uh, we had a down payment from the sale of that one house. That's why we had a down payment. And uh, went to the mortgage companies, and they said, you can buy a house for that much. And we said, there's no way we're spending that much money. Because the world said, spend it all and spend more than you got. And we said, no, we live on 80%. And so the house we bought was way smaller. And only did we buy a bigger house when we switched the way we live our lives. And Suzanne went to work as a nurse. The only time we ever bought, it, we bought a bigger house because our income went up. So first you pay God. Then you pay yourself. Then your living expenses. And then with whatever else, use left, what's left over to the 80%. Enjoy it. Take a trip. Buy a toy. Be a blessing to somebody else in need. There's money left over from the 80%. Do with it whatever you feel led by God because you've been honoring God and providing for your future. So spend it how you want. Friends, it's a simple plan. And it's a plan that works. And I promise you it leads to financial freedom. So here's the big $64 question. You even know what that means, $64 question? It used to be a game show. There was a $64 question. Now it's like the $6,000 question because $64 doesn't mean anything. Why don't we generally do this? Why does Barna say that none of us do this? this is, I've not shared anything with you today that's new. You've all heard this same teaching, whether packaged like this or packaged a little different, a dozen or dozens or hundreds of times you've heard similar teachings. Why is it? I think there's one reason. Because we love to spend. Because we think something that's not true. We think that buying something new will make us feel happy. Going someplace exotic will make us feel happy. Church, listen to me. Living in freedom brings the greatest joy there is. Living in freedom. A no toy can never do that. A new toy doesn't make you happier. Living in the freedom of the Lord makes you happy. So here's my advice to you. Establish a plan like this one, 10, 10, 80, or something similar, and then covenant to keep it. Do what Suzanne and I did our Valentine's Day. We worked on our budget. We did, we did share a Snickers bar, though. <laughs> we did. She cut it in half. We shared a Snicker bar. So, husband and wife, come to an agreement. We really did. Come to an agreement and hold one another accountable for your plan. Make those decisions based on on praying together and saying, God, what do you want us to do with the resources you've given to us? The only one who can keep the plan is you. Use an individual, use a family. But I believe this, God will help you. If, you. if you honor him, you do it his way, and he'll bless you when you turn to him. Friends, with these principles, you will find financial freedom. And financial freedom is a wonderful thing. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together this morning. Why don't you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are so abundant toward us. Lord, not only do you give us the things that we need to live, most importantly, you offer yourself to us. And Lord, none of this that we're talking about really makes any sense if you are not our Lord and our Savior that this is just rules to follow 
But if you don't really have our hearts, I know that this seems like foolishness. So God, I ask this. Today, would you penetrate any darkness? Would you strip away any lies that we believe? Would you make yourself so very real to every one of us in this place? God, there may be some here today who, who've never met you as their own personal Savior and Lord. They've never had their spiritual life started. They're born, they live, they breathe, but inside, they're not born again, according to the way your word says it, where spiritually, there's breath of God gets breathed in and they get a, they get a brand new spiritual life. Thank God for anybody that's like that today. They're in this place and they know that's them. Right now, God, help them to feel that you're here for them and feel that you love them and want them. You want to care for them. If you're sensing that in your spirit today, I want you to open up your heart to God. Say a simple prayer, something like, Lord, I need you today. I'm tired of leading life on my own terms. I'm tired of being in charge of my own world. And today I, I want to trust you. I turn my life over to you. I ask you to come. God, wash me clean. Take away all my sin. I want to be brand new. I want to feel it, God. I want to feel the burden of sin lifted from my shoulders this morning. I want to begin a brand new life with you. Just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Rule me. I want to, I want to follow your leadership because you don't rule in a, in, a, in a demanding way or a harsh way. You, you lead in love. then, Lord, I I need you to be my Savior. I need you to forgive me. And I want to walk in a life now where I walk after you. So, Lord, I turn my life over to you today. Lord, for anyone who may have done that and all the rest who have done that in the past, Lord, I know that this topic is one that can can make people uncomfortable. Lord, it shouldn't. We're simply talking about what your Word says. God, you want us to be in freedom. And God, I pray this for this church family. Help us to be free. God, there's some people in here who need some real miracles. Maybe before they came to know you, God, they got in a situation that that is uh, now bound them. They need relief. Provide miraculously. If they put you first, provide miraculously. Maybe they have abundant debt that needs to be retired. God, somehow show them how that can be done. Do miracles, God. For some of us, God, we're, we're living by the world's principles. We don't even know it. We really believe some lies that always more is better and that I'll be happier you know, running around or happier getting more stuff or whatever else, God. This is the culture of our world. Show us there's something so much better having joy in you 
It's resting in you. It's knowing you. It's, it's this joy of having this, this sense of accomplishment and purpose. When we take the, the, the resources you've entrusted to us and they funnel through us and they make big differences in the lives of other people. That when you use us, God, with resources and energy and, and ministry and, and others are changed and they, they, come into, they come to know you and they're, they're eternally saved and then they get discipled, that we're part of that. It's the greatest joy this world could ever experience, God. Some have never experienced that. God, today we surrender. We want to put you in first place. So, God, you said that, that money is the revealer. It shows the truth. So, God, for our own sakes, help us to see the truth of where we're at and help us to line up with what we know is right so that we can receive the joy of living in in congruence, in right relationship with you. So, Lord, I pray your blessings upon this incredible, wonderful church family. Thank you, God, that you love us. You're ministering to us by your Spirit. God, you've got incredible things you're doing in our lives and, and incredible things bigger than we could ever imagine that you're going to accomplish through this church family. So I pray, God, let your blessings, your abundance, and your joy rest upon this church family. And we receive that all in Jesus' name.